Hello, this is Jim Riggio. Um, this is Capital Discussions, and we are lucky enough to be hosting John Locke uh, this morning. Um, today is um, July 26, 2017. A quick disclaimer before we get started. Uh, Capital Discussions is not a broker-dealer or investment advisor. Uh, the presentation about to see is for educational purposes only. We have no way of knowing your situation or what level of risk is appropriate for you. We're not making any trade recommendations. The risk of trading options can be substantial, so please be aware of all risks prior to placing any trades. Uh, computer simulated trades are believed to be accurate. However, due to such factors as uh, uh, liquidity, slippage of commissions, uh, your profit and loss will vary. And with that, welcome, John. Well, thank you, Jim. Uh, thanks for having me on again. Appreciate it. It is our pleasure. Um, it's been a while since we've had John. Um, I'm going to pass you the ball, and I know that you have a small presentation, so uh, um, or a short presentation, you said. Um, so let's go through that. And uh, for everyone, what we'll end up doing is we'll let John go through his presentations. If you want, uh, type in your uh, questions in the uh, in the chat, and um, John will get to them once he's done. That sounds awesome. And feel free to ask questions as we go along. All right, well, welcome, everybody. Feel free to ask questions if you'd like. And uh, the what I was going to present to you guys today was the little presentation here that I, I've done with some live groups and so forth. And that is being profitable in the market long term is extremely simple, but it's far from easy. And I was going to talk about the bull trade a little bit. We have the normal disclaimers. And I don't need to go through them because they're pretty much the same as what Capital Discussions does. What Jim just tell said. You what you just said, exactly. <laughs> I have one additional disclaimer, but, uh, but that's coming up. But anyway, <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know me, I have a company called Locking Your Success LLC. We started out as a success and life coaching company, and we do still continue to do success and life coaching. We also do trader performance coaching and mentoring. We mentor non-directional traders, directional traders, day traders, all kinds of different traders. Our specialty is in market-neutral trading. Uh, I'm also a, a retail trader, and I trade uh, on, a, on a trade desk with SMB Training as well. I spend most of my time in the personal development field, a little bit less time in the trading field. And that may surprise some of you who know me because, I, as you know, we have an awful lot of great trading systems out there. I train an awful lot of great traders, but most of that is due to the personal development skills that I've developed over time. I'm a strategic intervention coach with Robbins Vidanis Training, and that Robbins is the Tony Robbins, so I've trained as a coach under him and his organization. I've also just attended a four-day Unleash the Power Within seminar, which was fantastic. We were there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 12 hours a day. It is just a, is a, is a fantastic time, very empowering. I'm also a master practitioner in neuro-linguistic programming under Richard Bandler and the Society of NLP. I'm a master hypnotist. I have lots of training in, in neuro-linguistic patterning and human behavior and so forth from lots of uh, other mentors and so forth. So one thing as we go forward that you need to be aware is uh, welcome to the world according to John. My world isn't like everybody else's world. And my world is not based in theory. It's based in reality. And I'm going to be saying some stuff, and it may be counterintuitive. I don't really care uh, if it's counterintuitive because it is reality. Therefore, the contents within, while theoretically incorrect, may have, may, uh, have been responsible for the transformation of people who trade 
into real traders, hedge fund managers, and educators for both my company and other companies. Um, I work with a lot of the uh, people like that in high end, at a high end level. So open your mind, open your possibilities. I'd like to talk a little bit about how the market in general has been for income traders over the last two years, 2016 and 2017. So in 2016, we had conditions line up perfectly in the SPX. It was a fantastic market last year, and I would say it's virtually, I mean, I've been trading since about 2006, and it was the best market I've ever experienced for virtually any income strategy. It was absolutely phenomenal. The Russell last year, on the other hand, was a little bit problematic. And that has a lot to do with the way the options were priced relative to the actual price movement of the index. In the SPX, they happened to be priced very, very well, and that allowed us to be very, very profitable last year in the SPX and most strategies. In the Russell, it was priced worse than normal, and our results were, were not as good as they, they usually are. Come in 2017, things have shifted a lot in the Russell. Uh, and they shifted a little in the SPX. And you know, I see the SPX this year, uh, at least from the feedback I've been getting from my clients, it's been an excellent year for any strategy that's a little bit bullish bias. It's been good or uh, for income trades, nothing like 2016. Right? I think most of the, most people are doing a little, little bit not as well as 2016, but they should be doing fairly well. It's a bit of a tough market if you have something that's strongly bearish bias because the market's been going up. It really hasn't been coming down at all. So, and the volatility is quite low. The Russell this year has just completely flipped around. And this, I've been trading the Russell forever, right? You know, that I usually trade the Russell. And it's the best market I've ever, ever experienced for virtually any income strategy I've had. I mean, things are just working phenomenally in the Russell this year. So, you know, despite the low volatility, which it, it is uh, extremely low record lows, the way things are priced in general, across, I know you guys talk about market skews a lot, so the market skews in general have been fairly favorable for us, except for this month. This month is starting to impact us a little bit, but earlier in the year was absolutely fantastic. So my question to you is, what does it take to become a consistently profitable trader? Now, I get this a lot, right? People will call in or, or they'll call me and or email me and ask me, you know, I want, they want to, I want to be consistently profitable. And I said, well, what is your definition of consistent, consistently? And if their definition of consistently is making so many dollars every single week, every single month, every single year, they're in for a disappointment if they're trading. If it means never taking a loss. Um, one of the challenges we have, or a lot of people have when they come into trading, is they are employees. They're used to going to, the, to work for 40 hours or 60 hours or whatever it is and receiving a paycheck and then walking out. When you become a trader, you become an entrepreneur. You are no longer in that situation. And as any real entrepreneur knows, your income is variable. And that's the way it is for a trader. As a trader, you are going to take losses. You are going to have a variable income stream. And... Ironically enough, the safer and more consistent your strategy appears, the worse it gets when the thing actually blows apart. So you always have to be uh, aware and up on that. Realize that being successful as a trader long term is a natural consequence of trading consistently. 
and letting the results happen. This is where you're going to make your best returns as a trader. So all it takes to be successful in reality is what I call a little common sense and a complete willingness to take reasonable losses. I recently read a book, At Life as Sport, with Jonathan Fader. And one of the quotes in the book was, risk-taking gives rise to success. Success triggers risk aversion. Risk aversion leads to stagnation and failure. And that really resonated with me because I went through that. When I started trading, I had maybe $10,000 net worth. Maybe I took $5,000 of that and I put it in the market. And I was basically willing to risk all of it on every single trade I did. And you know, I, in learning and, and all this other stuff, I ended up being tremendously successful in the markets, doing really well. Again, people started following. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. They're asking, you know, people ask me to help them. So I became very successful. At some point, you know, you know, earlier on, I had nothing to lose. I lose the money. You know, so what? You know, you know, if if I go back ten years ago and go back another ten years, you know, we have this uh, bottle that's still in my bedroom that that I uh, that I use to. Oh, sorry, show some guys. We used to we used to use that to eat. I had no problem risking the fire for him, right? So, but after a while, you get you say, "Hey, I, I have something here now," and you get risk averse, and you start saying, "Well, now I don't want to lose," and that happened to me. You know, I started trading with you know hundreds of thousands of dollars and up to millions of dollars, and and that started to happen to me. I started saying, "Wow, well, oh, geez, you know, now now I, you know, I don't want to lose," and my trading took a nosedive, and it became uh, terrible. I mean, well, I wasn't losing money, but you know, I went from making huge returns in the market to making what I considered um, you know, very lackluster normal returns, and it didn't inspire me really even to trade anymore. So uh, um, I was leading, and it was getting worse over time. It was just that, that risk aversion that was leading to stagnation in my development, and ultimately, if I stayed on that track, it would lead me to uh, failure. So you know, I just I turned around and I decided to you know become more risky again, and trading picks back up, and we're doing much better now. So realize that aversion to loss is the creator or the reason for poor returns that a lot of us experience. And that has a lot to do with your psychology. You have to be able to take that reasonable loss, and you have to be, you have to be completely willing to take that loss without any negative consequences for you. Now, when I talk with people, they always say, oh, yeah, well, I know we're going to lose sometimes. But I know they're not really internalizing that or they don't need it because as soon as... They, you know, they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm perfectly fine. We're all set. And they start trading. And then as soon as they're down, I don't know, 3% in a trade, they're flipping out. They want to break their plan. They want to get out of the market because they're, they're just not willing to take a loss. So it, it's a very yeah, important thing. And that has to do with psychology. Because once you have a reasonably good mechanical framework in place for trading, it doesn't have to be spectacular. It doesn't have to be the best. 
you can make a ton of money with any reasonably good mechanical framework in place. And from there, psychology is absolutely everything. So keep that in mind. Most traders, their long-term results, they're not good. Yes, they do okay for six months. They do okay for a year. But, you know, then something happens, the market shifts, and the strategy's not performing as well, and they decide to go ahead and jump strategies or do something like that. Um, you know, the, the phrase you hear is nothing seems to work other than sporadically. They're like, oh, this looks great. They come in, they try this system, and then whatever, and then they jump to something else, and they jump to something else. They end up chasing their tail. They either stay in the markets for years and years and years and don't make any money, which I completely don't understand. If you're not making it, you know, go do something else or try something else so that you can make some money. But they spin the trails for years, for years and they eventually quit. Uh, this has a lot to do with the process that traders go through in general when they come into the market. They come into the market as enthusiastic beginners, we call them. They are all excited. They're going to get a trade from somebody and they're going to, and everything's going to be wonderful. They're going to get this set of rules. They're going to put the money in the market. They're never going to lose. Oh, yeah, I know I might lose sometimes, but I don't really know I'm going to lose. And they go ahead and they start trading it, and it looks wonderful. And then once they start trading, they, they uh, get hit with reality, and they, they become what we call a disillusioned learner. This is where they say, hey, this doesn't work like I thought it would, and this is kind of hard, <laughs> and I'm losing money sometimes. And and that type of thing. So what they do is they switch strategies. Now, when you're a new beginner, that's perfectly fine, right? Because the reality is when we're new at something, we need to fish around and see you know, what's good. We need, also need to learn different strategies. We need information. And it's a fantastic stage uh, um, to do that. So you're skipping around at some. But at some point, as we're switching around strategies, we actually gain enough information to be profitable in the markets. And that amount of information is actually much, much less than most people think. It's very, very simple to be profitable in the markets. But at some point, we gain enough information, in which case uh, I call these, this person the reluctant trader. They have enough information to be successful in the markets, but they simply do not have the confidence to go out and trade it. They don't have the confidence to make their own decisions. This is where most traders are once they've, you know, once they've been at this maybe for a month or two or, or three months. This is where most traders are. They, they, they really have the skills to, to be successful in the market. They just don't have the confidence to go out and apply it. And what, because they don't have the confidence, they look for, again, other trades. So they'll try something. And it might go good for a couple of months, but as soon as things look bad, they say, oh, well, this isn't going to work, right? Because they have confidence, they jump to something else. That puts them back in the, the enthusiastic beginner stage, right? Because you're here and, and it's a, the grass is always greener on the other side syndrome. You're sitting here and, and you know, you're having a hard time. You say, oh, that looks better over there. And you jump over there. That sets you back. Once you have the skills you need to be successful, the process of system hopping is always going to drag you back. And at that point, this becomes a very, very destructive habit. What you need to do at that point is you need to get your psychology together so that you can have confidence in yourself. You need to practice making your own decisions and practice 
what you need to do to be a great trader. Because the reality is a great trader is not following a set of paint by instructions. A great trader, if you're, and, and one of my students said this to me the other day, is I, I myself was getting into too much into this concept of, hey, this is the trade, and we trade the trade. Uh, he said, well, aren't we, I thought we were traders. And that, and that really hit me. I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. If we're traders, you know, we're not, you know, there's a big difference between somebody who, 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 who paints in a paint by, by members painting and an artist, right? If we're traders, we're artists. We're making our own decisions. We're making evaluations in the market, and we're adapting our plans, you know, just like we do in our M21 program. We're adapting our plans to the market so that we can have the best possible chance of making the most possible money. And I said, yes, you're right. You're right. We have to get out of the paint by dot numbers mentality and get in, you know, and get pushed back towards being a, 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 a real trader and being a peak performing trading. So you have to get past the paint by number stage in order to be a top performing trader. For me, I call it getting off the treadmill. For me, I got off the treadmill about 10 years ago. I was new to trading. I had absolutely really no idea what what trading even was. I didn't even know what a stock was. Not, well, not 10 years ago, maybe 12 or 13 years ago. And um, I was in the same boat you guys are, right? I'm in here, and uh, the organization I'm with at the time, they have these trades. And the trade of the day is the iron condor. And that was working well for uh, apparently for years. I don't know because I was kind of new. But from what I was told, you know, we had traders, and, and this was working fantastic. It was like the 2006 era, somewhere around that time, 2007 maybe, and and that was working great uh, for years until it didn't, right? And their strategies basically blew apart. And you know, then I started strategy hopping, doing other things. Nothing seemed to be working for me. At some point, my training in psychology kicked in and said, "What the fuck am I doing? It is uh, this is not the way to be successful in anything." Um, what I need to do is I need to take the knowledge I have. I have this. I know I have the skills to do what I need to do. You know, let's put some trading systems together on my own. And I asked myself some questions. You know, we, I kind of like the income trading thing, so I said, well, you know, what strategy has the best risk reward? And that is the butterfly, right? If you look at a risk reward graph from a condor to a diagonal, from a calendar to whatever, best risk reward is a butterfly. I went in, I, I developed multiple butterfly strategies, and I ended up doing extremely well. But, you know, some of the strategies didn't make much money. Uh, if you know the M3 trade or the M9 trade or the M21 or, or, or any of those versions, right, M just stands for method. M3 was the third method of a trade that I was doing. So. Um, I developed a lot of different strategies, including the M3. M M1 through M9 is where uh, M9 is where it settled in, but it had all, actually been all the way up to uh, 21, or actually 26 different varieties of trading styles. But I came in with an M9 trade, which is somewhat similar to a bearish butterfly, but it is actually uh, significantly different because it was a planned trade uh, that that varied from month to month. But uh, going through that process, a lot of the strategies really didn't make much money, and some were rather advanced, and some could be management-intensive and take a while to learn. And I'm, tr I'm training people on how to 
trade because people are asking me because I'm doing so well. And so they're asking me how to do it. And I'm, I'm trying to show them this M9 strategy, and it's super freaking complex, right? Uh, I think I remember telling people I had a 500-page trading plan for that particular uh, strategy. So that's not something you're going to teach someone who's relatively new on options. And you know, even the M3 trade, it's not really an analysis of trade. I see this as a trading system because we have a lot of different options on how you trade. In other words, it's not a set of fixed. It's not a set fixed. A fixed set of rules. So even that was rather advanced. You know, if you go to the simple stuff like uh, like a mid one, which is a broken wing butterfly, uh, with a you know just a rollback strategy on the upper long strike, uh, you know that didn't. It certainly didn't make the money that I wanted to make. So I was like, well, what can I teach someone? that is very, very simple and makes my money most of the time and, uh, and we can work with, with newer people. So what is a simple strategy I can teach virtually anyone? This is a question I ask myself. What is a simple option strategy I can teach virtually anyone in 30 minutes or less that can consistently outperform the S&P 500? And the, at, the, at the time, the trade of the day was iron condors. So I said, well, what's the risk-defined complex option strategy with the highest probability of success? And the high probability iron condor, as it was called in the day, came to mind right away. I said, well, it's, it's probably a high probability condor. Then I started thinking, well, what is the real probability of a high probability iron condor? Some uh, metrics will tell you that delta is a, another number for probability of expiring in the money. So if I look at doing a typical high probability condor, I'm around 10 delta. So they were telling me that we, this has a 90% chance of success. So I'm thinking, well, that is pretty good. However, it has a 6 to 1 risk-reward ratio. And just in the short time I spent trading iron condors, I find out, found out very quickly that you, you cannot responsibly let your position go to a short strike because you have a 6 to 1 risk-reward ratio, and if you were to do such a thing, you lose so much money that the probabilities of winning won't recover. <laughs> you won't be able to recover from that trade. In other words... It's, it's as they call a net zero trade or a, or, or, or a trade that's likely to lose over time uh, if traded that, in that manner, right? So I said, well, I can't responsibly trade it that way. What I can do is I can say, well, realistically, I can trade this in a price range from here to here with a one-to-one risk-reward ratio. What is my probability if I do that? And of course, this changes over time and so forth. But you know, from starting point, this is my probabilities. So I said, well, if I do that, that means I have to get out of the trade if I'm at an 810 call or 650 put. That gives me an average of about 20 delta, or a 20% chance of losing. Well, I'm, not, I'm sorry, or about an 80% chance of winning? Question mark, right? And I said, well, that's not bad. But the problem is an iron condor can lose in both directions. Which, again, remember, this is the world according to John. If I have a 20% probability of losing on each side, to me, that brings my probability of winning closer to 60%. That's not so good anymore as 
far as I'm concerned. Sure, I can use adjustment strategies and so forth, but that adds more capital to the trade. That means I'm making less of a percentage, and it makes things even worse, and how far can I actually widen it, uh, and so forth. Right? So it brought up all those questions. So in addition to that, we're only thinking of the probability of expiring. We're not thinking of the probability of touching. The probability of touching my max, my, my loss levels is actually much higher than, um, than, what my, than, than the probability of, of expiring. So that makes things even worse. So I, I, said, I asked a question, I said, well, what is the reality of the market? What's the primary direction of the indexes? It's obviously up. Most of the time, the market is going up. How much time does the market spend going up versus going down? Well, it obviously spends a lot more time going up than going down. And then I look at, so, so from a functional standpoint, I, I would be better off to take my risk to the upside rather than to the downside. And then, I, then you ask, well, which direction do you get paid the least premium to take on risk? And I get paid the least premium to take on risk to the upside. And then I, you know, I, I pose the question, which direction is an index condo most likely to lose? Which, according to my question sequence, was opposite of what most people told me. Most people feared the downside in my condor. And I said, well, that's what they fear, but it seems to me that it's, going to most li it's most likely to lose to the upside more than it is to the downside. So that being the case, I wanted to prove it. So what I did is I just split the condor up, and I said, let's test both verticals. And this is in 2012. I said, well, let's go back um, from 2012 to 2002, and let's back test various bull verticals with no adjustments. We're going to test them consistently every month, regardless of market conditions. And what I found was interesting. Uh, I found a 75% win-loss ratio. 20-ish uh, percent average annual return, positive returns eight out of 10 years. So that's not bad. That's not, that's not bad at all. And the funny thing is the results were pretty much the same regardless of the variation. It didn't matter if I sold 30 delta. It didn't matter if I sold 10 delta. It didn't matter if I was 50-point wings. It didn't matter if I was 20-point wings. Um, they, were, they were all fairly same. And with the exception of if I did, uh, the wings couldn't be too wide if I was too far from the money because at some point it's a losing. It's, it's not worth the um, it's not worth the amount of credit you get if you widen your wings too wide. But within reason, it really didn't matter. I could even do a naked at the money put, and I still got about the same results. It didn't really matter. So I was thinking, okay, well if I'm getting a 20-ish percent average annual return, what's the return on the benchmark 500 S&P over the same period? It was less than 4% annual return. So I said, well, that's kind of interesting. And I said, well, yeah, there is a simple bull vertical trade. And the first thing I said when I came out with the simple bull vertical trade is, well, wouldn't you make more money with a condor? And I said, well, I don't know. What is the difference or the consequences of adding a bare vertical? So I did the same thing with bare verticals. I back-tested multiple variations of bare verticals from 2002 to 2012, no adjustments, consistently every month, regardless of market conditions. The results were pretty much a disaster. Um, I had two good performing years, which happened to be the two years I lost in 2002 and 2008. 
I went back and I traded the bull vertical with the bear vertical in 2008. It made no difference to my results. As far as matter of fact, the results were worse um, than they were with just the regular bull vertical because um, now I could get blown out on both sides. And uh, the other eight years were either lost or it was only minimally profitable. So realistically, it was only two good years in the last thing. So, so I'm thinking it's, it's probably not worth it. So my observation were strike selection within reason made minimal impact on performance long term. Days to expiration within reason made minimal impact on performance long term. Again, from year to year, from month to month, differences. But over a 10-year period, they kind of level out. Um, the exception with days to expiration is it was irresponsible to let the trade get too close to expiration. So the only thing that, or the best thing I could do is get out of this trade very far from expiration. And um, just mainly because it promotes too much gap risk, right? Uh, so I said, okay, this is a good base trade. Let's apply some filters. Any filter that I consistently applied, didn't matter what it was, a moving average crossover, so many points up, uh, volatility levels, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Anything that I did the exact same way throughout the period reduced my long-term performance. Uh, any repair strategy that I consistently applied, right, not subjectively, but anything I consistently applied regardless of what happened, uh, reduced long-term performance. Any hedging strategy I consistently applied reduced long-term performance. The only way I was able to improve the system is through subjective technical analysis. But again, remember, Subjective technical analysis is subjective, and I have the benefit of hindsight, right? So, you know, how valid is that really? I have to really think about that. So, you know, I said, well, keep it simple, stupid. Let's uh, let's just do a simple full vertical. So, I found my simple strategy, and it was actually much more simple than I expected. It was just a simple bull trade. We have no technical analysis. No searching for stocks, no adjustments. Uh, we check it once a day, and that's the way I backtested it. It's two trades per month, no matter what you do. There's no overlapping trades. Excellent for IRA accounts. has a 75% uh, win rate on average, right? This is as simple as this, this, is, this is the entire trade. It's two pages. One of them explains our um, profit objectives, and our loss objectives, and the other one explains the rules. So we do it on the rest of 2000. If you, for each lot or each contract, it's 27.50 per lot, we, uh, which is 3,000 minus a 250 credit. You don't need extra money for adjustments because, well, there isn't any. Um, maximum gain is $250 per lot, which you would rarely hit, but it happens at times. Uh, desired loss, desired maximum loss. I say desired because you have gap risk and you can gap past your maximum loss and through the test, especially through 2008 and some of the other places like the flash crash, we did gap through our um, loss numbers, right? But despite that, we still had good returns. Um, desired maximum loss, 250 a lot. I don't have any profit target. It's, it's, uh, it's an in and out strategy. So what I did or I came out with and I'd like to say that I've been telling this strategy to traders for free since 2012, 
And I have I've probably talked to hundred, many hundreds of traders. And as far as I know, there's only two or three people actually doing this. And they've done very well over the last uh, several years uh, in the strategy. So it's just a matter of people aren't willing to lose, right? They're not willing to take the risk. But anyway, uh, we enter when the cycle 65 days to expiration. We sell a 30-point wide bull vertical. It's a put vertical at uh, 10 delta short strike first. Right, we look at the 10 delta short strike. Usually we can get $2.50 credit at a 10 delta short strike with a, with a vertical. But if we can't, we just move it up closer to the money because realistically, as I said earlier, it doesn't really matter if it's a 10 delta or a 15 delta or a 30 delta for that matter. It, it pretty much works out the same way anyway. But this is the this is the rules that uh, I want to make sure I have a two dollar fifty cent credit or or ten delta would probably be the furthest away from the money I go. There are no adjustments. I simply exit under two conditions. My next monthly cycle is sixty five days to expiration, so there is no overlapping trades. Um, or if my two hundred fifty dollar maximum loss is reached before the back month is, is 65 days to expiration, I'll, I'll exit as well. And then I go to the sidelines. I wait till 65 days to, uh, to enter the back month. So it just looks like this, right? So I just come in here. I do a simple bull vertical. I make sure I have uh, $2,500 credit. This is for a 10 lot. And the trade looks like that. And essentially, if the market doesn't come down at a certain point, you stay in it till the, other, the next month of 65 days to expiration, and then you're out. People are very... As we say, hmm, I'm at a loss for words. Skeptical. People are very skeptical when it comes to looking at this. But I say test it. It's fast and easy to test. You can literally test 10 years in this in a very short period of time. I mean, you, you put the strategy on, you look at your chart. If the chart didn't come down, it won. Right? If it did come down, you just check your down points and see where it is. You can, you can back test it in, in a very short period of time. So, so you can do that and just test it and see what it is for yourself. So here are the results history of the back testing that I had. The first year I tested was the first year I had data, and that was 2002, and it lost. And most people from there would stop testing, right? But the reality is you have to test stuff over time. But from there, there was only one other losing year, and that was 2008. And it was a significant loss, but it was less of a loss than the S&P 500. Other than that, everything else, at least uh, for the most part, doubled the S&P 500 or better, sometimes drastically, you know, 10, 15 times the S&P 500. And this year thus far, the strategy is up 44.3%, which is a better than normal year, but that's because the market simply hasn't really come down. We ended up taking one loss of, I think, a couple hundred dollars this year. Uh, just because of the timing of the exit, it happened to uh, there happened to be an exit and then a re-entry on a uh, on a month where it was it happened to be down slightly when we exited. So that is essentially the bull trade. I encourage people to do that. One of the questions I get is, well, what if the price comes down too much? You know, how do I protect the position? Right. Long term, anything I've experimented that's done consistently has reduced long term returns on the strategy. So I say, for me, is trade at a responsible size and let it go. You don't get close enough to expiration to take a total loss. You may take a very significant loss to get down near your loss gaps down at the wrong time or if we have some horrendous gap in the market. But if you're trading responsibly, 
that shouldn't be a problem if you're responsibly sized. And I'd also like to point out that can certainly happen with any of the other broken wing butterflies strategies or whatever or other strategies we happen to be doing now. Um, so, so you know, that's just a risk that you take when you're trading. Um, I can tell you that a majority of traders who make subjective decisions generally get worse results overall by trying not to lose and simply letting the trade work out. And for the most part, most traders should just exit the position uh, if it goes down there. I do put the however in there. There are highly skilled traders out there who are very good at position management, right? So if you were a new person, uh, I, would, I would basically not bother trying to save the trade. But if you're highly skilled at position management, then you can do that. Like if you've been through the ATM Squared course or something like that, then you can, you can certainly do that. And you can increase returns by applying uh, corrections subjectively. Also, skilled traders can increase returns through accurately timing market direction. So um, anyway, that is, uh, that's what I have from that. You know, who can benefit from it? Anybody who with the basics options, I'll let you who's not doubling the S&P 500 returns on a fairly consistent basis would be benefiting from a bull trade. Anyone who's beating the S&P 500 wants to simplify their trading which is why I trade this, right? So I might have an account that uh, I have some very complex positions in that you know I'm doing some crazy trading in, but you know if I have 7, 12, or 14 accounts, I don't necessarily want to be doing that type of trading in 14 different accounts. I can take half of my accounts and I can throw, throw them in a bull trade where I might otherwise have them in cash or something like that uh, just to simplify my life. And I can at least be making some money with it. Um, anybody looking for a viable alternative to mutual funds? So, you know, we talk to a lot of hedge fund managers and so forth, and, and we say, well, why is it so hard for them to? Why is it so hard to beat the S and P 500? And mechanically, it's not. It's not hard at all to beat the S and P 500. There are literally hundreds of methodologies and strategies that I see and come across that can beat the S and P 500 fairly consistently. Mentally, it's challenging to beat the S&P 500, and that is because a vast majority of traders, they will not follow effective strategies consistently. They suffer from SOS, or shiny object syndrome, where they're jumping from strategy to strategy. They, they're, they're, they're not making their own decisions. They're you know, doing things like that. So if you're, if you're doing that, you're running a circle, you're, just, you're not going to be being a good trader, you have to settle down and do something consistently. Uh, so why is it challenging mentally? And it comes back to where we started, when we start talking about the unwillingness to take reasonable losses. An over-aversion to loss will literally kill your returns regardless of how good your system is. Um, and the other thing is fear. A lot of people are, uh, they have this fear when they're trading. And ironically enough, the fear usually isn't related to losing money per se. The fear is missing out on what the win or loss means to them. They will hang their significance on winning the trade, which is much worse than losing money. So when you when you put the meaning of losing a trade as I'm not good enough anymore and I'm not going to be loved, which if you really look at it, you're not in trading for the money. You're not making money necessarily for the money. 
once we make a certain amount of money in this country, we are certainly very well off and better than 95% of the world, and we can survive quite easily. Anything more than that, you know, you're looking for some sort of significance in, in what that money is going to give you, or if you're going to buy something with the money, you're looking to have that thing for significance, which, you know, at some point is going to give us love or connection with people. You're hoping it brings something like that. And when you put that kind of a meaning on the winning or losing a trade, it is a recipe for fear, right? So you have to really think about that. And we deal with that in our programs. Like if we were going to come to a trading triangle program, for example, and we do have a video program for that, uh, we go through whole processes of dealing with fear. We also, uh, fear and anxiety, we also do that in the ATM Square program as well. Because this is where, uh, well, once you have the mechanical capabilities, this is where most people uh, goof up and, uh, and have problems. So my the other thing I'd like to mention is why is it okay, right? Uh, change your perspective when you're trading. Why is it okay to lose a month or a year in mutual funds? You know, somebody will give people their money, and they'll and they'll have weeks that are up and weeks that are down, days that are up or days that are down, months and sometimes years that are down money, right? That's not a disaster. It's like oh. It's like, oh, shit, that kind of sucks. My, my, my mutual fund lost money. You hope it comes back next month. Um, it's not a big deal, right? But when you're trading it, you know, you get down $60, you're freaking jumping out of your shoes, you know, scared to death because of whatever, you know, under all kinds of stress and stressing out, which is no way to trade, by the way. And, uh, you know, why is it okay in the mutual funds? You need, to, you need to look at the same way. It's the same thing. It's just money. You need to take your, your ego out of it. So being a great trader long-term requires that you be adaptable, you follow a process uh, that has an edge. Realize it doesn't matter how good a process is if you cannot get yourself to follow it. So if you're not following the trading system or whatever you're doing right now, whether it's crappy or not, it doesn't really matter because if you jump to the next one, you're not going to follow it either. So you need to do that. So the, and the other thing is, too, there's no way to properly evaluate a process if you don't follow it. How can you really truly evaluate a process if you're not actually following it? So, so realize you should be following those. And realize also as you're trading, as you're learning to trade, as you're becoming better, it's more important to train yourself to follow a process than it is to find a good process. This way, when you create a good process, you'll actually be able to follow it. This requires letting go of short-term results and focusing on your ability to follow a process. And realize that every process you have, I don't give a damn what it is. I don't, if you're going to do the same thing every time, if you're going to be rule-based, or even if you are subjective, you're going to go through cycles of ups and downs. But as long as the strategy is responsible and it continues to have a significant edge, then continue to trade it. There's no reason to quit at that point. right? And realize, too, that some of the best times to trade a strategy is often after it's had a losing streak. And I'll put the bearish butterfly as an example here. In 2016, in the Russell, the bearish butterfly was awful. Um, we had, I think, the first losing year ever in the strategy, and it, it just didn't do well. However, the first six months of 2016 is the best results we've ever seen in the strategy. We're up well over 100 already this year. So, um, some, so things go in cycles, and realize that that, that happens. Uh, and also... Uh, so realize that happens, 
And last here is if a process's edge truly disappears, then you need to be, have a way to realize that, and you want to then adapt to it and change your process. In other words, if your process sucks, yeah, you follow the process, and the process sucks, fine. Change the, adapt the process, and then follow the process. So that is what I have. And I think that is about it. Um, the, just so you know, uh, that, that bull trade, those are the rules of the bull trade. If, you, if you're a new trader, right, and I put get more trades here, <laughs> I actually hate that statement because if you're new, that's fine. You're looking for more trades. And that's fine because this is a, this is a uh, course for newer traders. And you do need trades at some point to set up some sort of framework. But once you're more skilled, you know, get more trades should not really interest you anymore. You should be working on your own. But, uh, but we'll use that anyway. If, if you are interested in the bull trade and the, car, and the corresponding bull and bull versus bear trades that go with that and a decondor, that's a course that SMB sells, SMB Capital. And you can do that. And I was just going to quickly just throw some of the other stuff that we have so you guys know. We have uh, learning courses, a lot of stuff on butterflies, different strategies here. We have enriching sessions that um, are video programs. And most important, we have our peak performance programs, which is Trading Triangle Maui, which is combining your trading system and your psychology with the proper business practices to be a great full-time trader. We have APM Squared, which deals with trader psychology and advanced position management. Uh, and then we have Ultimate Income Trader, which actually is not for sale yet. But we did that last year in Boston, or this year in Boston. And that was a, uh, it was all heavily into trading and so forth. So those, that's what we have around. And I'm 50. I can't believe it. Uh, do you believe I'm that old, Jim? Yeah, I can because I'm 54. Oh my God, you're even older than I am. I'm 50 on Friday, so uh, Sherry, uh, I never, I am never used to tell anybody about my birthday, but my wife said you have to tell people you're 50. I'm like, I don't want to tell people I'm 50. But anyway, I'm here, so we are. We have, we have, we have a sale until next Tuesday. So if you can come over west and check that out, if you're interested. In that, so. so anyway, that's what I have for a presentation. Uh, we also have a lot of re free resources on our site. You can come at LockingYourSuccess.com if you want to do that. And that's what I have. John, um, i got to tell you, many things that you ended up saying, it, it's, uh, uh, I think that as you've gone through your journey, a lot of people end up uh, um, learning these things, and usually they're very costly lessons. Um, you know, I always ended up saying, the two biggest mistakes that I see traders make, and you mentioned both of them. Both of them. Uh, you kept saying if they trade within their, um, uh, you know, responsible, right? Is that many times I see beginner traders and they risk too much of their capital that they start to end up trading scared. So, so the biggest uh, uh, issue that I end up seeing is that people trade too big. The second one is that they follow the trade du jour. Okay, that they're always trying to end up learning, you know, some new trade of the day. And I think that, you know, we've gone through our learning processes, the way you've gone through yours and the way I've gone through mine, um, were probably about 180 degrees. Um, yours was based more on the practical side in terms of trading. Uh, mine was the theoretical, then going into practice. Um, and so I do take a look more at the employee. But, but either way, no matter how you get there, 
okay, the trader has to get there themselves, okay? And to be able to end up understanding why, like for example, I, I know that you talked about as long as your trade has edge and it continues to have edge, uh, and you mentioned specifically you have to end up realizing why trades don't end up having edge. Um, you know, yeah. I'll end up taking a look at mine, and you know, I've always sa said, you know, uh, here's the simplest way to know whether or not your trade has edge. If you're buying, okay, options that have lower volatility than you're selling on a consistent basis, okay, you'll end up having, um, you should end up having some type of probability edge. When is that different? Uh, the only time that's different is, as you ended up pointing out, when you go far enough out of the money, okay, it'll end up changing sometimes. But going through, I've also spent time uh, showing people uh, that um, how far can the S&P actually move? Right, we're putting this trade on, and, and, and we're making a uh, we're making a determination that the S and P won't move beyond this point, or above this point, or below that point. I actually ended up showing, and I got all of the data, and you know anybody can do this. And I ended up showing on the S and P 500, the Russell, and, and the Dow. I have I have data on the Dow back to 1928, and you can take a look and see. Well, how far can things end up moving? Okay, in, in a range. Um, have things changed over the last several years? Uh, distributions have changed, but one of the things that's happened is that they've changed more in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ than they have in the Russell. Right. You have to realize the Russell is um, its more immune to high-frequency trading and algos and uh, all of those volatility strategies that, that, that the banks end up running on stuff. That's because the thing is that in order to have, you know, high, a high-frequency trader can only trade things that are frequently traded. The 2,000 stocks in the Russell aren't nearly as liquid as the 500 stocks or the 100 stocks in the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ 100, uh, respectfully. And so understanding those things and then taking a reasonable approach, um, you know, is is always the, the, the smartest thing. I have a few questions that I'd like to end up re reading to you, if you don't mind. Sure. Okay, that we're in here. Um, they said, um, do you use, and this was, uh, it was sent to both, uh, I think, you and me. It says, uh, do you use the volatility smile or the individual implied volatility? I think they're talking about uh, the two choices you have in the, um, in the, uh, toss system when you can choose your volatility. Um, the challenge with the volatility smile is that you may want to end up using that once in a while just to see what your P&L is, but you can't end up using it to trade because it'll end up showing you that, that your numbers would be way, way off. And so I tend to end up always using in the pl in individual implied. How about you, John? Well, I don't, I don't monitor so much in think or swim, so, uh, but I understand if you if you put the the volatility smile on your profit and loss is going to be way off. Yeah. But it's it's going to it's going to give you a more factual representation of the T plus zero line profile. Right. And right. if you do that, right? If you do that though, I would rather the person if 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 you're already that advanced, you should be calculating what you think the implied volatility should be in some spreadsheet and then you apply it. Don't let think or swims uh, smile approximation be be you know your gospel. Well, here's the big thing, right, Jim? Is the software, whether it be Option View or, or Thinkorswim or whatever, it makes projections that say basically, hey, if this in, if this asset moves five percent, 
we're going to get this much of a volatility shift. And the reality is that they have no framework in which to base that off of other than an average. In other words, if there's already a lot of pressure on the market, that move might not move the skew at all. And if there's no pressure in the market, it might move it like completely out of whack with what um, normally is. So, it, so it's like a, a GPS. You need to know where you are in relation to what's normal and where it's likely to go if it shifts. John, this is why, and if you start end up writing up all of the uh, what-ifs, if the volatility is here and the skews there, and, uh, you end up with 500-page trading plans. Uh, I, I agree totally, right? Really? They're, they're <laughs> <laughs> not that you have any experience with that. Okay, but, but, but there are three, three different uh, GPSs that, that I, I think about in terms of three different underlines that my GPS has to tell me about. First one is obviously price of the underline. Second one is implied volatility. But then the next one is the difference in the implied volatility on the strikes that you're trading. Like, so for right. example, most people, right? Most people end up ta taking a look at skew. And if I take a look at skew between the at the money puts and I measure, let's say, the five percent below the money puts, what what good does that do me if I'm trading the you know the three percent above the money call? Right? I need to look at my individual strikes. Yes, it, and the other thing that it ends up doing, and, and I know that, John, we use different words. I, I, I often talk about how those volatilities morph as you get closer to expiration, and I know you use the word trend, but we're, we're talking about the same thing, that your implied volatilities of the individual strikes that you bought or sold is going to change with time, and with implied volatility, and as the skews change, and that those are things that end up having to, uh, that's how you'll know, or at least that's how I know, when a strategy that has edge doesn't have edge anymore. Yeah, yeah, it, and you know, you like to look at volatility skew charts, and, and you know, I look at them too, and I train people on volatility skew charts, but I really like to look at T plus zero lines that the, the software is throwing out to me, because you see the same thing. Right. 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 That's exactly right. Now, one of the things that, that going back to, uh, um, you know, you talked about um, practice. Well, one of my favorite, and you guys, the, you know, our subscribers are probably tired of me using this uh, Yogi Berra quote, but Yogi Berra once said, in theory, there is no difference between theory and practice. In practice, there is. Okay. And we both know that when you look at the thinkorswim charts or anybody that uses just a straight... Um, and I don't care which model, you know, whether you use Black Shoals or some other one, what ends up happening in those butterflies below the money, you know that depending on how expensive the far below the money puts were versus at the at the money puts, meaning skew, skew will usually change that T plus zero line. And you and I know because we've traded so many times, oh, this T plus zero line is a little bit understated in my software, or, oh, this T plus zero line is a little bit overstated if something happens, right? At the money, anybody can do at the money. The challenge is understanding how your uh, Greeks will trend or morph or just flat out change if the market goes down 5% and, and volatility goes up and skew changes. One of the biggest challenges that I always end up seeing, though, is 
how do you end up learning that? You can learn that in one of two ways. You know, the path, John, that, that I know you took was backtesting and understand how it affected prices, right? Because that's the bottom line. That's the practical piece. My okay. piece was I, I ended up being the, the math geek that I've always been in my life, uh, was peeling back the onion, understanding what happened with volatility, understanding some of that math-based stuff, and then end up, okay, applying that to price. So, so um, your, your path was shorter. Okay, in terms well, of understanding. The challenge you have is that, is, and I think a lot of people who are very logical and very highly educated have, have this challenge, is that they think that options pricing follows a mathematical model when in reality it follows emotion. Yes, so, it does. It does. Right. So and in, in a lot, that hard, hard is yeah, important. In a lot of ways, um, you know, going and taking a look and seeing what can end up happening. A lot of the way, by the way, um, hurricane models are put together. Uh, what's happened in the past then, you know, from an emotional point of view, how high can volatility end up getting? And I will end up telling you this, and anybody who ended up trading, okay, um, in August uh, two years ago uh, will end up knowing this. Right, John, you'll remember those uh, four days when the market went down, okay, 10%, okay, starting on August 20th, uh, 2015. Not that I remember it or anything. Right. Um, <laughs> what time was it? <laughs> I remember I had on my Nike shorts to pay them. <laughs> anyway, um, understanding that what happens today with uh, high-frequency trading and algos means that things can happen much, much quicker. Um, I ended up showing that the daily movement of the S&P 500, okay, or any of the other indexes with the exception of the RUT, have actually gotten much narrower on a daily basis. Right. But that really hasn't affected at all how far the market can end up moving, let's say, if you look at a, a three-month basis. Uh, economics still drive which way the markets go, mm -hmm. but in, information is disseminated so quickly and high-frequency traders end up uh, um, um, influencing the short-term movement of the markets that we've actually compressed, okay, if you think about the bell curve of distributions, we've actually compressed what's happened over time, and so we don't have as nearly as much of the daily movement, but we do have a lot of trends, and we've seen that happen more and more and more especially since all the high-frequency guys have gotten on the same page, and they've probably been trading the same way since around 2013. Um, another question here is, uh, um, what percentage of capital would be best to end up allocating uh, to the S&P 500? And I, I think this question came up when you were talking about your uh, bull strategy. Right. And, you know, there's no general answer for that. We have to talk with people individually uh, how much capital they can allocate. It's, it's, you know, how can you give a general answer for that? You, you know, can't, right? The, the quote, the disclaimer, and I don't mean, John, to end up, but in the disclaimer, so we have no way of knowing your, your situation, what level of risk is appropriate for you. Right. I mean, what I, what I put is never more than 20% of your net worth, and that's just a general number that, I, that we use in, when we're training people. Um, you know, that said, it may be appropriate for some people to put much more than that in, and it may be appropriate for them to put much less than that in. So, um, You want to have the ability to reload. Um, if you've never looked at uh, risk of ruin um, or any of that, that math, it's, you know, I, I never want to have an issue where 
if I have a few bad trading months that I can't end up just reloading my capital, okay, for, from from a, a place where I've kept it safe. Um, but by the way, g going well, back, the, the other thing Jim, too is is people always ask me this same question, and they say, "Well, how much of my capital is at risk?" And I say, "All of it." Mm -hmm. Yeah, every every penny. And if you can't stand losing that, you're trading too large. So I just put it that way. Though. That, that's a that's a very good way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing is that if your trades wake you up at night, and, and you find yourself you're trading too large, you know. Um, uh, just one other, a couple other quick comments about um, losing capital. I, I remember one time um, Tom Sosnoff, okay, was asked in a um, in a uh, presentation. This had to be 15 years ago, um, and one of the uh, one of the participants asked, "Well, can't you hedge the risk out of the trade?" And Tom responded, "Of course, I can. I can hedge all of the risk out of the trade. But if I hedge yep. all of the risk out of the trade, I'm going to hedge all of the profit out of the trade also." Indeed. So, what, what what John ended right? What you mentioned before? How do you end up putting you know some money at risk to make much more? Now, sometimes just from a pure probability point of view, you're going to lose that trade. You're going to lose it maybe multiple times in a row. But this is the way I ended up always looking at it. If I learned, I could not lose, right? Because I would become a better trader and I would use that knowledge next time. It doesn't mean I'm not going to lose again, but even when you lose, sometimes you made the right decision, okay? Right. Um, and you have yeah. to make the right decisions consistently. Exactly. That's how you do it. So that's why we talk about being, not being results focused because it, the challenge with trading is you can do everything right and lose and you can do everything wrong and win. And as soon as you start evaluating your, your trading performance or your trading abilities based on the results, you could be you know, going completely the wrong way. Okay. I'm not going to read who the next question's from because the thing is that unfortunately I, I do think that this is is the wrong question. They said, "Can't you protect the? Uh, can't you end up putting in a uh, a protective stop or a conditional order or a mental stop? Okay, on that trade." And, and John, you had gone through so many times that that um, as soon as you start to end up doing something consistently all the time, like a uh, put a stop in. Um, you know, you had mentioned um, that um, the probability, the difference between probability of touching and probability of, of um, expiring, usually the math guys as a quick and dirty rule, and it, there's a lot of variances, but where is it? It's about twice, which means that if you have a 10% chance of touching an iron condor on either the upside or the downside, uh, I'm sorry, of expiring on either the upside or the downside, as John, you said before, right? That's right. a 20% chance of losing. That means you have a 40% chance of touching. And the problem is, and here's one of the biggest things that I see. If you end up going and selling uh, a market when it goes up, or more importantly, if you keep buying a, 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 I'm sorry, buying a market as it goes up, right? Because that, that's what you're going to do. As your mm -hmm. trade goes up, many times you adjust deltas upward. As the trade goes down, you adjust deltas downward. Now, you need to do this for a responsibility point of view, but you also need to end up doing it in a time frame that you're not always selling the bottom of the markets and buying the top of the markets. And sometimes I think when you right. just put in blind rules, always do this when this happens, 
that's what you're doing. That you're susceptible to that at least. Right. See, in a lot of our systems, we try and take out the intraday range. So we're checking them once a day. We're letting them drastically exceed roll points and so forth um, for the purpose of letting the day work itself out. And I think, and that actually improves a lot of people's results, uh, allowing that to happen. So I, I think it does also. I try. I'm not always successful, but I try to end up <laughs> do all, all of my trading. Uh, I used to do it after um, uh, three o'clock. Uh, now I right. do it after two thirty because I have to end up do you know other things to end up writing up and stuff. Right. Um, another question here is: uh, oh, we got several happy birthdays to you. Um, yeah, thank you. And so, are you a July, a July or an August baby? July twenty eighth. I'm the eleventh. I'm seven eleven. Ah, so you recently got older too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, other things here. Um, have you found uh, an advantage to make fundamental changes to your strategies along the term, say, over the last five years? You know, M3, a lot of people don't know this, right, because the actual video program came out in like 2011 or something. But the M3 trade was actually, or the system in general was actually developed in 2007 and 2008. And realistically, there have been no fundamental changes to that strategy. It's been live traded through all those markets. It's been, it's done fantastic. So the answer is no. There have been minor changes, and the minor changes are primarily due to options or, or option view, specifically uh, modeling changes, software modeling changes, where we had to make some adjustments to deal with some changes that they had put in. But uh, other than that, fundamentally, that strategy has been the same, time-tested, proven. So, uh, and like I said, this year it's, it's, it's working fantastic as well. The other strategies, you know, again, if you know the method one trade, for example, has been traded through the whole time, also, so that really no fundamental changes there. I would say the only strategy that I have that haven't been around that long would be the actual bearish butterfly strategy, because that was created out of a method nine strategy. It was something that was made that was subjective, that was made into a rule-based strategy. And the rock trade also was something that was subjective that was made into a rule-based strategy in 2012-ish uh, or 2011, right around that, uh, that range. So, so those uh, have been only since 2011, and they have not had any fundamental changes, although I am looking at making some minor changes to them now. Um, mainly as a result of 2016, because 2016 was a challenging year. But you know, this year so far, things are fantastic. So the, I guess the short answer is not really. <laughs> just, just minor stuff. Right. As long as your strategies, okay, and I know yours do, John, with a lot of the stuff that you're doing, as long as you, you end up having your strategies to be able to be flexible enough to handle the different markets when the market's going up and ball goes down or puts you can see whatever th th that's the key and once you end up having a flexible strategy or a strategy that will end up making adjustments appropriate for your market th th then then it's just you know so it comes down to pure probabilities you have you have you have expected uh, a positive expectancy which means you have edge yep yeah, as long as that page is still valid, I mean, you you write it out, right, and uh, and move forward. And then, of course, we have our strategies too that are that are 
Like if you go to an M21 strategy or an M26 strategy or something like that, you are um, putting a different trading plan in place every single month. So what you're going in, you're going in and you're analyzing the market and making determinations of what the you know what trade or trade setup and adjustment strategy is going to work best for this particular market, or, or at least what's most likely likely to happen in this particular market. Realistically, that's the most effective way to trade. Once you get to mm -hmm. a, a skill level, you're appropriate for that. But you know, as you're a beginner, you follow rules, right? Because you're just you're just getting going. You know, what I try to end up doing, or what I actually do in my Kevlar, is that I end up having two different uh, methods, okay? I have a mode one uh, that will end up being more appropriate when IV is lower and put skew is steeper, and I have a mode two which is more appropriate when IV is uh, higher and put skew is flatter. Uh, and, and so you, you really do need to end up, uh, uh, not, not all trades will work in all environments. Um, you know, I know in my personal trading, as I know you do, John, you have a lot more than just two modes. Um, of understanding right. where a market is, but but when you're trying to end up teaching something, leaving stuff in, in at least, um, you have to break things down into having a more appropriate um, strategy for the environment that you actually have, not the environment you think you have or you want to have or, or, you know, some guy on CNBC told you you have on the one you actually have, and you do that by measuring. Right, you do um, that by measuring, and and also you know you want to point out too is and, and I just want to mention this because now now I was talking about changing trades from month to month, and you were talking about the same thing. And one thing that's important is to be learning at your skill level. You know, one of the challenges that we have nowadays is that there's too much information available. And you know, back when I started this, and I, I think I was kind of you know the pioneer in this. Um, I used to teach people strategies, but I, but I always withheld information from them. And I withheld information not because I don't want you to know what's going on. I withheld information because you're going to learn a heck of a lot faster if you are only dealing with a small amount of information and then it's, it's, it's fed to you at a, at a responsible rate where you're going to develop very quickly into a really good trader. Whereas if you, it, whereas if you just kind of get thrown into this world where there's a hundred things going on, and you just start trying everything, and you start trying to look at things that you really you have no business looking at. You know, it's like if you were, you know, learning martial arts. I was a martial arts instructor for many years, and you know, you know people would always come in and they'd always want to do the, the, the big fancy techniques and the big spinning kicks and stuff. But the reality is that they needed to learn how to punch first. You have to be able to let go of all the information out there. Just pick a path that's good, and work with it, and then. Bring in the information as you're ready for it, and you're going to be, you're going to get successful much faster that way. I think that's good advice, John. I think we got most of the questions. Uh, just somebody ended up asking again and said, you know, do you end up having a um, a set of uh, protective stops or mental stops? How do you end up uh, handling trades uh, when they end up moving against you? Are they built into the rules or? Yeah, yeah. So so the the stop point I have, I have a multi-level stop point. And the reason I do is because we're, the type of trades we're in, your profit and loss can fluctuate a lot. And sometimes it's simply due to volatility and it's temporary, which is a bit of a judgment call. Uh, and sometimes it's real, what I would call a real loss. So, uh, and also, we also have gap risks overnight, right? So I don't pay attention to intraday price moves. In other words, I don't care if the SPX is down 100 points in the middle of the day. I'm concerned where it is um, at the end of the day, unless um, 
I can the the market gives me an opportunity to make an adjustment. So one of those days last year, I don't even remember what day it was, and the, I think the trade desk was flipping out, right? Because I traded on a trade desk, and the market was down early in the day tremendously. I mean, everybody was past their maximum loss levels, and you know, at that point, I go into this mode where, well, realistically, the way they price options, everybody's in a panic right now. Even if the market continues down further, chances are I'll be able, be able to get it out at a better price later than I can get at now. Because as the market's free-falling, there's really nothing you can do, right? Uh, so, so we just wait it out. And, you know, I'm a good technical trader. I'm actually a very good directional trader. I, have, I train a lot of directional traders, and I've learned a lot from them as they've learned from me. And, you know, I timed the market. About noontime, the market had come back to almost neutral. So I said, boom, that's your opportunity to make your adjustments, right? Profit and loss came back or get out of the trade, whatever is appropriate. And I make my adjustments, and then, you know, sure enough, at the end of the day, it comes back down again. So in that, in that context, in other words, if it's an opportunistic context, I'll adjust the trade. If the market's just in a free fall, I, I walk away from the computer, and I deal with the situation at the end of the day. Now, that said, I do have maximum loss numbers on my trades, and I have a ma an absolute maximum loss number on my trade. So a maximum loss number is a number I'm going to get out at if I think the profit and loss is real, and um, I'm, I'm legitimately down that much money. My absolute maximum loss number is uh, allows the market to go past my maximum loss number when I think it's temporary, uh, and it's going to come back, or uh, it also, it, it's also a number that represents the gap risk for the following day. So if I trade the SPX and I know the SPX can gap 100 points, I might have a maximum loss on a trade of, say, $5,000, and maybe I'm down $3,000, um, which really isn't a problem, right? But I also have to look at, well, what if the market gaps down 100 points tomorrow? Where does that put me? It obviously puts me past my maximum loss. So I have another number that's higher than that, maybe 7,500, maybe 10,000, whatever my risk tolerances are. That's how I train people. And you'll realize if the market gas down, you're going to be down that much money. It's, 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 a, it's an amount of money that would be more than normal for the trade, but is responsible for your um, situation. Okay? Uh, and, and, if, and if the absolute maximum loss is going to get hit with 100 points, you have to either get out of the trade or make an adjustment, even though you may be down, um, may not be down to your maximum loss at this current point. And, you know, where does that come from? It comes from these, the old Condor traders who used to roll back and double their position, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's, a, rec that's a recipe to blow up, right? Yes. They, they, get, they get near their maximum loss. They roll back. They, rub, they double their position size. If, if the market had gapped down another 100 points the next day, I mean, they'd lose everything, right? Mm -hmm. so, uh, especially if they're a little bit closer to expiration. So that's, that's completely yep. irresponsible trading, even though you never hit your maximum loss numbers. So, John, so, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to end up saying, you know, your points about know your situation and responsible trading, um, you know, it's just so, so important. You know, I, I kind of take a look at, and if, if we talk a little bit about, you know, examples, okay, because people always want examples. If you have a loss and you're above your butterfly, let's say in an M3, and um, the VIX has hit a all-time low, like we've hit several times this month, okay, mm -hmm. um, you know, the vol crush has already happened. Uh, you're probably sitting there with a uh, positive gamma trade and a 100-point move in either direction would probably end up helping you, not hurting you. Right. That's a very, very different 
uh, position, then if you've blown out the downside of your, your butterfly, okay, and you're looking at just huge amounts of risk if it continues to end up going down, where your gamma and your vega would absolutely destroy you. So knowing what your situation is and knowing what you can end up losing is absolutely critical. You know, I always end up saying when it comes to a position, when it comes to like maximum losses and things, if you could put on a brand new position today, would you put on the position you already have on? Right. And the other the other thing, though, with, with what you mentioned, if I am in that situation, in other words, hey, I got into a broken wing butterfly or I got into an M3 trade or a butterfly call configuration, because an M3 can be a broken wing butterfly or a broken wing condor as well. Um, if I'm in that situation, I can basically say, you know what, I'm at my maximum loss, but you know, I have the potential to lose 50 bucks or $100 or whatever. And if I stay in and the market happens to move, I could make $10,000. That's a, that's a good thing mm -hmm. for me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, the, 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 way, the way I trade my mode one Kevlar is um, it's different than obvious. You know, we've talked about different than your M3. I'm much closer in terms of my call. Okay, I, It's more bearish in terms of its position, a whole bunch of different things. But I'm in one of those positions now. I'm at the, I'm in the absolute biggest troughed, okay, but I got, um, you know, this is a September um, September um, expiration. Do I really want to end up closing the trade when if we move down or if we move up substantially from here, um, you know, I make money. Yes, I lose $50, okay, in my theta or whatever. It's a, you know, where, where, where am I going to go in terms of a volatility crush when the VIX is already at nine and change? If it goes to eight, how bad is it going to end up getting, right? You have to end up realizing your situation. And that's something that, that John, I know that you stress over and over and over again. Know your situation, and you get that from experience. Mm. Imagine that. You know? I know. Yeah. It, it, well, it, I agree 100%. I mean, you know, the, <laughs> what I don't like seeing people do is jumping on top of the, 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 the position. In other words, putting a tent over the position five days to expiration and hoping the market doesn't move $3. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I, I know that you, uh, you probably have a ton of these things. I, I know I've read them, but I can't quote them. But, but uh, when it comes to the uh, psychology of investing, um, I know that there's so many studies that show here's what the overall markets and here's what all of the, like say, mutual funds have done, but yeah. here's what the performance of the dollars invested in those mutual funds have done, meaning that, you know, when do people end up, let's say, jumping out of utility, okay, into their utility ETF and going into their technology ETF, usually when technology is at absolute high and utilities at the absolute bottom. I remember one of the studies I do remember was that uh, uh, Barron's did a study on Morningstar, and they said if you would have invested into every um, four and five um, um, Morningstar mutual fund on the day that Morningstar upgraded them versus if you would have invested into every one and two Morningstar fund on the day that they downgraded them, the downgrades had done better than the, up, uh, the, the, the upgrades because people end up tending to end up chasing shiny things, as you said. That's right. Uh, follow the crowd mentality, too, right? Right off the cliff, follow 
exactly. John, we've been going all over it now. I hope you come back again soon. It's, I love having these conversations with you and answering questions from the folks. Uh, I found it very enjoyable. I always do listening to you. Thank you so much for, for coming up and speaking on, on Capital Discussions with me. You're, you're welcome. And thank you for having me. And thanks, everybody, everybody, for joining us. I hope you learned a lot. And I hope it, it, sometimes it, it pays to look at something other than the trade and take a look at your psychology a little bit as well. So keep that in mind as you go forward. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye.